there's an educational gap. There's a cultural gap. We have people in our congregation. We have some people in our congregation who are medical doctors, who are highly trained professionals, who would love to hear or could, could at least follow abstract, rational type preaching. But then we have people in our church who are who haven't read a book for 20 years. They're unfamiliar with the Bible. They maybe made it through high school, but barely. They've not done any post-high school education. They haven't been in the classroom for 30 years. So now I'm supposed to stand up and preach and communicate across the gamut. And plus, we've got kids in the room, old people in the room, people hearing their thousandth sermon, people hearing their second sermon in their life. Storytelling, I've come to realize, and other people have helped me realize, transcends all these boundaries. When I tell a story like about the couple you mentioned, everybody in the room is engaged and listening and interested in hearing about this couple. If I just speak abstractly and define forgiveness and therefore this and therefore that, if I make more than one logical inference because of this, therefore that, and then if I make a second and therefore this, I've lost half the room. I've gone too too abstract, too theoretical. That's good academic writing. It's terrible preaching in my context with my, my people. So better to do what's a little bit harder for me, at least, do the hard work of figuring out some kind of story I can tell that will make that point rather than just lecturing through that point and watching the room disengage as I do. That's part of what coming to realize about the value of those stories. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 219. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and our guest this week is Dr. Adam Copenhaver. Uh, In this conversation, we speak about, amongst other things, we speak about the right and the wrong ways to include personal stories in the middle of our Bible teaching and preaching. Here's the reality. Listen, we all know that there's a wrong way to tell stories about ourselves in the midst of our sermons, right? You've heard them, the the type where there's the self-aggrandizing preacher who is the hero of every story that he tells. Well, Dr. Copenhaver believes that there's actually ways that we can tell stories from our lives and our experience that actually refresh our listeners, that open their minds to think differently and, and further cement biblical truth and really show that Jesus is the hero, not the preacher, not anyone else, but Christ alone. This conversation was a joy to have. Um, We discuss a book that Dr. Copenhaver has recently co-published with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Arthurs. It's a commentary on Colossians and Philemon. Make sure that you're subscribed to this um, show because in future episodes, I get to speak to Dr. Jeffrey Arthur as well. And we're going to be doing a giveaway of this wonderful Colossians commentary in the next couple of weeks. Just want to throw that out there to say that there's, there's more coming. There's more coming. Okay. Hope you enjoy this conversation and I'll catch you again at the end. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm excited to be speaking with Adam Copenhaver. And, uh, you know, Adam, I'm just going to like dive straight into it. The first question that we always ask is, can you let us know about the first time you ever taught the Bible in public or, or preached um, as kind of a way for us to, to get to know you a bit? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, my first time, probably like a lot of people, my first time preaching was an absolute train wreck. Um, my church that I kind of grew up in, was discipled in, had a program for high schoolers where you could uh, do some different ministry things. And one of them was preaching. And for some reason, as a freshman in high school, maybe 13 years old, I thought, I'll try that. And so my pastor kind of gave me a little bit of guidance, and I worked really hard for a few weeks to put together a 10-minute sermon. I practiced it probably a hundred times. And when I got up to deliver it to my youth group, uh, within about 30 seconds, my this is teenage angst here, my voice started cracking. No. And I could not get out a clear sentence. And it was very awkward, very uncomfortable. And I think I was done within about 90 seconds. I just wrapped it up and sat down and there was kind of an awkward silence in the room. Like that was it. And, uh, that was it. That was my first, <laughs> first attempt. Um, seriously, what happened? What happened? What happened next? <laughs> well, we then you know, the youth leaders took over our youth meeting and we finished out the night. And then, uh, over the next few years in high school, I kept with that program though, and, uh, kept, um, kind of being mentored and trying to preach a little bit here and there. And so by the time I was graduating high school, I was pretty used to usually like 10 or 15 minute sermons like that. Sometimes Sunday morning in the service, kind of a little mini sermon before the pastor gave his sermon or different youth events and things. So when you, when your voice cracked and you sat down, but I mean, like what actually happened next? Did they grab the acoustic guitar and what do they do with those other nine and a half minutes? <laughs> Uh, probably something like that. You know, it's pretty informal youth group, but sure, I'm, sure. I'm sure they scrambled to try to take the uh, spotlight off of me yeah. in my, in my awkwardness, you know, all my peers sitting around, my buddy's still, you know, Hey, good job, you know, lied and tried to affirm me and make me feel a little better yeah. about it. Well, for some people that could be the first and the last time they ever <laughs> attempted to do that. You know, like I can imagine when you're 13, you're so kind of vulnerable and not even sure of yourself. Like, I guess, what was it that after you sat down to think like, well, I'll, I'll try again next time instead of, well, I quit. Probably just that encouragement. And I, I was very fortunate at that time. I had a, a, a pastor who was kind of a mentor to me and had been for a few years and a great encourager. And so he, um, I don't think he was there at that youth meeting when I did that, but and maybe if he had been, he would have stopped encouraging me, but, um, but he kept, you know, giving me opportunities. Hey, let's do this again. What, what's your next one going to be? And just kind of on, we went from there. So very oh, gracious, very okay. gracious and affirming. Yeah. In that yeah. church. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously flowing into, into the next question. So that's your kind of unlikely origin story. Um, and and since then, I know that you've you've pastored in multiple locations. Um, not only are you a, a regular preacher, you've actually, as I mentioned in the introduction, you have you know written like commentaries to help other preachers. So how how have you like grown as a preacher since since then? What are the what are the kind of markings uh, in your growth as a preacher since then? Yeah, well, growing up <laughs> was part of it, just <laughs> sure. maturing. But you know when went to um, Bible college and seminary and, and along the way did has some involvement with other churches, some internships and things. And so just gaining more experience, learning how to, to preach a little better, communicate better. Um, and then probably really what was really formative from a preaching perspective was 
straight out of seminary uh, when I was about 23 or 24 years old. I became the solo pastor of a small church for about three or four years. And that just kind of threw me into the deep end of, um, of just weekly preaching and trying to figure it out. And there were a lot of bad sermons there too, where halfway through preaching, I'm realizing nobody is connecting with this. I'm, I'm just completely missing the mark and going back to the drawing board, you know, what am I supposed to be doing here? And, and so that was really where, where I really cut my teeth, I think, and tried to really figure out what, what this looks like the weekend week out for three or four years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a solo pastor at, 23 as well. It is, mm-hmm. it is way too young. <laughs> it is way too young. Um, it, yeah. it, you know, now I'm, I'm 39, you know, and so I have, I have a lot more experience than most people my age. And so that, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for yeah. that, but it is a, um, yeah, it was a strange, um, set of circumstances that, that brought me into it. Maybe, maybe you too. And, yeah. um, you know, to kind of be learning in public, um, and to be, you know, making mistakes and figuring things out. Uh, again, we mentioned 13 is a young age, 23 sort of is um, as well too. So yeah, and, congratulations. And I'm glad you survived. I'm glad you made it. <laughs> well, barely. Um, but there was a very, I had a very gracious congregation, you know, mostly older people and they just, they, they were so proud to have a young pastor and very, very gracious uh, to me and very affirming. Um, but it, well, this maybe is on what you want to talk about here, but it was, it was also rough in its own way. I had a young marriage, young family, a lot of stress. And so, um, after a few years, that's when I decided, you know, maybe I'll go back to school, take the, take the stress down a notch and mm-hmm. enter a PhD program, okay. uh, which is how I came to do that and take a few years break. And, and really the PhD program was much less stressful than, um, pastoring a wow. church as a solo pastor, as a young man like that. And was was good for my marriage, good for my family, good for me um, to do that. Well, I'm I'm yeah glad to hear that. Boy, that that took a turn. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to hear that you made it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I've I've uh, wisely decided to go back to school, but remain in ministry. So I'm I'm working yeah. on my master's right now. So it's just adding adding more to it. But uh, but I I think. I'm not solo pastoring anymore. I'm part of a team. You know, the church is a, yeah. at a healthy stage now. So it's unsustainable. And each of us have in different ways made it sustainable by, by making these various choices. So, yeah. Yeah. And those are some of the lessons you learn alongside the preaching lessons are how to manage ministry on the whole and how to do it in a, what Lord willing is a healthy, sustainable way, not just for ourselves as, as the pastor, but also our families and the people around us. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I definitely hit the ground like it was a sprint yeah. and had to learn the hard way that it's a marathon. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, allow me to just kind of plug here, kind of our, our sister podcast, uh, we're the Expositors Collective. Uh, I maybe recommend the Leadership Collective, uh, which uh, our friends uh, Ted and Rob do, talking about kind of the other aspects of pastoral ministry. Um building that support network, manage, you know, having a healthy board and, and team ministry and that kind of thing. So if you're not listening to leadership podcast, leadership collective, I suggest that you do. If you're 23 years old and just think, if you think it's all about preaching, boy, are you in for a treat? Because it's more than just preaching. It's a whole lot of other stuff too. Yes. A lot of hats to wear. Absolutely. 
Um, okay, so in those, I mean, in this, these various locations that you've been in and, and congregations who you've looked after, you know, I know what's important to you is the importance of kind of like knowing the people to whom you are you are speaking. Um, it, it seems that preaching to you is more than just um, explaining what the text means, but it, it's kind of an act of pastoring uh, a group of people. Do you want to kind of help us understand that? Yeah, yeah. For me, preaching is, um, as I've developed, I suppose, I've come to value preaching and, and think of it more as a pastoral role. So it's pastoral preaching as opposed to public preaching. And, and what I mean by that is um, when I when it first started preaching, and then even when I first started in the church I'm currently in, and, and the people sitting in front of me are, are strangers, I'm preaching more of an abstract kind of message, like to the generic person who might be out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's very different than preaching to a congregation I know, where these are people that I've invested my life in, and I've spent time among them, and I know where their um, hurts are, and I know what they're rejoicing in, I know what's burdening them, and now I'm I'm crafting my message to them or for them. And so the more that I've been in my church currently for 10 years, a church of about 80 people in a small town. And the more I get to know this congregation, the more, the less inclined I am to want to put my sermons online for an invisible audience. And the more they Mm. are just for this group in this place and this time, and they may or may not have universal value. And that's not really what it's for. It's for these people here and now. Hmm. But your sermons are online. I know because I've listened to some of them. <laughs> um, yes, so, and the reason we put them online is for the congregation. If you missed a week and you want to hear the sermon that you've missed and stick, you know, keep up with the series or whatever we're doing, that's why they're online is for our own congregation. And then I know, you know, other people can access them, which is fine, but that's not our, um, our purpose in putting them online. Mm-hmm. It's a secondary um, thing. Yeah. So in, in, preach it's not as if um the congregation is the live studio audience but you're you're preaching past them for the universal you know down you know downloaders out there yeah yeah exactly and I'll, I'll, another way to look at it or approach it is i'll sometimes ask you know, why would anybody come to my church to hear me preach when they could sit at home and and log you know get on youtube or wherever and find their favorite preacher out there John Piper or whoever, you know, whoever it is that they like, Andy Stanley, somebody on TV, why would they come here, me preach when I'm not half the preacher those guys are? And the reality is, it's because they know me, it's the relationship. They know me, I know them, and nobody else out there is writing a sermon for them. That's my job. That's what I'm doing is writing a sermon for them. And so then that's something that they want Ideally, that's something they want to hear and find value in. That we're connecting in that way. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, I I think it was in a Haddon Robinson book or or one of those guys. Um, he he writes about in his when he, when he comes kind of the application part of his sermon as he's sitting at his desk mm-hmm. writing it out. He says that he has some like imaginary people that he 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 you know invites them to sit next to him, and he kind of thinks, okay. What about for the plumber? What about for the academic? What about for the the, the cancer survivor? What does this, these people need to hear? And are, are you doing something similar to that, but it's actually 
real people? Are you thinking about Susan and Tom and Christopher? Yeah, I mean, I would take it probably a step further and say um, Monday, Tuesday, I if if my week works and flows, Monday, Tuesday, I'm in the text kind of sorting out what does this text say? What am I going to, and what's the main points and that sort of thing. But then Wednesday, Thursday, not just abstractly the plumber, whoever, but Wednesday, I'm sitting next to a hospital bed, holding someone's hand, praying with them and listening to their story. And then I'm having lunch with someone who's telling me what's going on in their life and encouraging and praying with them. And, you know, that's how I'm spending Wednesday, Thursday, as the sermon's forming in my in my mind. And so now it's, it's a sermon written for these people. What, what do they need to hear in this moment? What's going on in their lives? And the sermon is, that's what, that's, I guess, in my mind, what I mean by a, a pastoral sermon or pastoral preaching, it's a sermon now from the text, but directly to these people in what's going on right now in their lives and, and being kind of shaped and molded for them in that way. Yeah. And I think there's a way that of doing that, that doesn't start in the text, but that starts with the person. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's like, well, you know, um, the sermon today is about how, uh, you know, wives just need to respect their husbands, you know, and it's it's based on this interaction that I had and she really needs to hear this. And that's maybe going about it backwards, right? Yeah, that's unhealthy. And there's a danger there because especially again, I have a church of 80 people. So if I target a sermon yeah. like that. Everybody yeah. knows who I'm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who I've been spending time with and what's going on. And, and, you know, and then that person feels called out and isolated and yeah. so on. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that would be an unhealthy way or an unhealthy application of what, what I'm kind of saying. Yes. And continuing our three-part series on disobedient kids in the youth group. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of whom there are five kids and one is disobedient. <laughs> yeah. And we all yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So preaching is a a pastoral act. It's it's a it's a text based, but declaration or expression of care and love to an actual congregation. Yeah. Yeah. And I can give you maybe an example, even from my sermon just two days ago, um, where I was preaching on in in the Gospel of Mark on the rich man who comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And just says, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, come follow me. And he goes away sad. And then Peter, after he just says it's impossible, it's hard, harder than for rich men to enter the kingdom than um, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know, disciples ask, who then can be saved? And then Peter says, see, we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus gives the affirmation. There's no one who has not left all these things who will not receive a hundredfold as much. And so in that text, as I'm studying it, there's there's two messages there. There's the message to the rich man, sell all you have, come follow me. And it's hard. And he goes away sad. There's a message to Peter. We have left everything to follow you. And there's maybe some insecurity there or whatever. And Jesus is reassuring him that it was worth it. So now in my congregation, as I'm preparing that message, the previous week I preached on the cost of discipleship. And I had a few people um, say to me in one way or another, um, and that was a heavy sermon on what we need to sacrifice and give up to follow Christ. And what about God's grace? What about God's grace to us when we're struggling? And isn't there a message that isn't just telling us that we've never done enough and we've never given up enough? And, uh, and so now as I'm looking at 
the story of the rich man, well, I've got to preach both sides of it. Yeah, there's a message here of you need to give up everything. There's also a message of reassurance. And so maybe my congregation needs to hear that message of reassurance. And maybe I need to make sure that really comes out in the message this week in my context for these mm. people mm. and not get too caught or as caught up in the rich man and the call to sell everything and come follow me, even though I'm going to preach that too. But if it weren't for my congregation, give me that feedback and interaction, I might've kind of let fall away what Jesus interaction with Peter and the reassurance at the end. And I'm pretty sure I've preached that passage before and not brought out that reassurance to Peter at the end, but my congregation, those pastoral interactions, help me to see what I, what my congregation needs me to bring out of the text this week. Yeah. Well, thanks for highlighting that. And, you know, the, the way that, I don't know, the, the podcast industry works or the way that YouTube works is, you know, the, 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 the people we tend to listen to tend to be, you know, conference speakers, mm-hmm. um, you know, or the, the, the ones who do the circuit, you know, and mm-hmm. they're, they're speaking, they're dressing uh, often an unknown crowd. And yeah there really yeah, ought to be a model of the the hyper-local pastor because that's at the end of the day that's all we have is local pastors and yeah. um and some people kind of make a name for themselves by maybe addressing all the local pastors at once and so we're like oh you're great um but it's the yeah the uh i, mean, I love um the d.a carson um autobiography of uh, the memoirs of an ordinary pastor um mm-hmm. kind of this really just great humble biography of his dad and yeah. he just looked after a congregation in French-speaking Canada and and dies. That's it, you know? And yeah. and he cares for them. And I just love the way that, you know, uh, Don Carson just kind of honors his dad. And I just, the phrase, memoirs of an ordinary pastor, just has stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of, I guess, what I'm, that kind of model is what what I'm thinking about. It's It's kind of antithetical to me in my day job as a pastor when, like writing a book or something like that. And then publishers, you know, where's your social media account? Where's your platform? Where are you building this invisible <laughs> audiences? Like that just, that's just completely the opposite of everything that I value and do on a daily basis, even though there's value to those things. Yeah. It's, it's the opposite of pastoring and it's not, not the way I think of pastoring and preaching in a local church context. We're building a platform right now, Adam. You're on a podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, and listen, both of the hearers of this podcast are going to love it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the irony of like a Eugene Peterson who writes about all he wanted to do was be a pastor of a congregation and not too large a congregation and all those things. And then next thing you know, he's selling millions of books and he's everybody's he's famous and everybody wants yeah. to know what he has to say about pastoring and not being famous. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this kind of to, to pivot. So you talk about like, like pastoring and caring for people. And then I, I know about that because like one of the stories that you've told in one of the sermons that I listened to, you know, you just, you speak about, I guess, in a previous conversation, um, congregation, kind of a, an, an older couple that you thought really modeled like Christian character and Christian growth and respect for one another. But um, their adult children informed you that when they were younger, that that was totally missing and that they've had like a, a mm-hmm. real change in their heart that turned into a change in their life, which turned into kind of gracious interactions with, with each other. So that was a, a story that you told that was very like pastoral and, and also very, mm-hmm. very encouraging. And it stuck with me when I, when I heard it, but um, so that's that on the one hand, that's kind of the, the result. And then also maybe part of 
um, that kind of pastoral preaching. Like you're you're preaching by giving an example, not of people in that very congregation, but like people like them and saying, this is kind of like what maturity can look like and growth. Yeah, kind of trying to set out for people, yeah, a, a vision of, of what is this text saying? And I forget what... Um, what sermon I used that story in? Maybe it was about forgiveness or reconciliation, or it was uh, one of the ends of Colossians, kind of one of the the vice lists okay. or virtue lists in Colossians. Yeah, some somewhere in there. Um, yeah, trying to help people like boots on the ground type stuff, right? So mm-hmm. not just describe abstractly what does it mean to grow in kindness or patience or forgiveness, um, but helping paint a picture. What is this actually going to look like in your life? and kind of charting or, or, or giving a story to, uh, to help people envision themselves growing in those ways. Yeah. Well, and that, that kind of, it, it really bridges both of these things. Cause I'd like to ask you next about like the role that you've come to find or that you believe that that stories have in, in our sermons as a way of like connecting with people from different cultures or even different educational backgrounds, like, why should we be telling stories in the first place? Yeah, that's that's this is something that I, I'm increasingly learning. I, I don't know that I've figured it out or I'm that good at it, but um, it was interesting for me to come. So I took a break from ministry, did a PhD, came back into pastoral ministry and preaching. And very quickly, I realized I my preaching is sounds a little too much like my dissertation. And it, this is not this is not working for my congregation. Maybe there's a congregation out there it would work for. I don't think there's any congregation that would have appreciated that preaching. But but then the more I got to know my congregation in the place where I'm at, um, the more I realized that um, abstract, theoretical type speaking doesn't connect very well. It connects with some people, but not a lot of people in my in my congregation and context. I'm in a small town. It's a rural town. It's a migrant farm town. We're in Washington state. It's one of the poorest and least educated towns in Washington state. So in the, in the town demographically, something like, um, 40%, uh, let me make sure I get this right. Only 40% of adults have a high school diploma in town. Okay. So there's there's a, a cultural there's an educational gap there's a cultural gap we have people in our congregation we have some people in our congregation who are medical doctors who are highly trained professionals who are who would love to hear or could could at least follow abstract rational type preaching but then we have people in our church who are who haven't read a book for twenty years mm-hmm. they're unfamiliar with the Bible they're not they haven't they maybe made it through high school, but barely. They've not done any post-high school education. They haven't been in the classroom for 30 years. So now I'm supposed to stand up and preach and communicate across the gamut. And plus, we've got kids in the room, old people in the room, people hearing their thousandth sermon, people hearing their second sermon in their life. And so anyway, so, so storytelling, I've come to realize, and other people have helped me realize, transcends all these boundaries. When I tell a story like about the couple you mentioned, everybody in the room is engaged and listening and interested in hearing about this couple. If I just speak abstractly and define forgiveness and therefore this and therefore that, if I make 
any more this side, I try to remember, if I make more than one logical inference because of this, therefore that, and then if I make a second and therefore this, I've lost half the room. I've gone too, too abstract, too theoretical. That's good academic writing. It's terrible preaching in my context with my, my people. So better to do what's a little bit harder for me, at least, do the hard work of figuring out some kind of story I can tell that will make that point rather than just lecturing through that point and watching the room disengage as I do. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's part of what coming to realize about the value of those stories. Yeah, that makes, that makes so much sense. And two logical inferences in a row, like, Oh, you got me. (laughs) You got me because that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's how much of the, well, that's how some of the New Testament is written. Logical inference after logical inference, you know? Yep. And, uh, you know, again, like as, as I'm currently a student and, you know, like this is just how things, how things work, but that's not how everyone thinks. And that, and they're not yep. bad for not thinking that way. It's just a different way of thinking because yeah, part of the New Testament is written that way, but the other part of the New Testament isn't like that at all. So yeah. So like right now I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark a little bit leading up to Easter, the stories, all that it's great preaching because the text is a story. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my elder board has been talking with me, you know, maybe we should do a series in the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, how on earth? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, book of Romans is nothing but logical inferences and layers and layers of it. So that's, if I go down that path, that's, that's where the real challenge, challenge will come. Can I, can I do this in a way that doesn't disenfranchise half the congregation, but it's, yeah. it's also in their Bible too. And, and they need to be doing that hard work of trying to figure out how to read some of that and think through it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the same, the church that I pastor, like we're, we're next to a university. So we have a lot of, we have medical students, we have lecturers, we have, you know, the intelligentsia, and we're also in a city that is, you know, full of alcoholism and, you know, unemployed, like alcoholic addicted, you know, and like, and they all come to my, well, they don't all, uh, and, and, and people from both of those sections, like are, you know, I, I inflict my sermons upon them both, you know, and some people yeah. are just, yeah, tracking the logical inferences. And so this is a, a great reminder to myself to, uh, to do this. So thank you. Um, yeah. So, um, in, in, in speaking about like a good story, to include like like what is a good story what's what's a good story that that fits a a sermon or maybe even if you can think back to a couple of days ago like was there a story that you told there that you thought worked really well or do you have ideas or principles about what kind of stories we should be telling yeah well this is where i'm i'm in the learning boat too and uh come back in a couple of decades and we'll see <laughs> see what i figured out but i i think for me, um, in my congregation, again, this is my congregation. It's less um, stories that are that people are not familiar with. You know, like let's tell a historical story about George Washington crossing the Delaware. Well, some people don't know that story, uh, or I'm assuming people know something that maybe I shouldn't assume. But more of the personal stories. So a lot of my stories are like the one that you picked up on, and. It actually is encouraging to me that you remembered something from a sermon and it happens to be the story, which is part of how that works, but of a couple and of their life and, and something that people can um, can relate and, um, and, and connect to in that way. Um, I, 
I told a story maybe a couple months ago now. Uh, we, we had a youth retreat and there was a um, one of the counselors that we had up there at this youth retreat shared her testimony. And as she shared her personal testimony with the kids, she had every kid in the room just on the edge of their seat absorbing that. And, and what was interesting was as part of her testimony, she actually talked about how she heard somebody else give their testimony. And as this person gave their testimony, she was thinking, this person's telling the story of my life. And then it made her want to give her life to Christ. And this is part of how she came to Christ. Well, so she's telling this testimony at Snow Camp. Well, then I took up that story, her story, and used it in a sermon a few weeks later because I knew that some of the kids who were there would remember her telling the story and the adults might appreciate it and used her story. We're talking about God's redemption and used her story about as an illustration of how God takes up our brokenness and comes alongside of us in our story and redeems us. And so I used that story kind of to open um, that sermon. And what was interesting was um, this part of my context too, as I was wrapping up the sermon, there was one lady in, in our congregation who likes to every now and then raise her hand and try to ask a question uh, during the sermon. She hasn't quite figured out that like sermons are not the place for questions. It's like a monologue, not a dialogue, but Anyway, so I kind of ignored it. And, and then as I was sitting down and as the music team's coming up, you know, music, whatever, she said, you never finished that story. What happened with, with that ah. young lady? And so then gave me a chance afterward to talk to her and say, well, her story's not finished. That's why there's more to what God's doing in her life with redemption and so on. But of the whole sermon, this beautiful sermon I preached, she was mostly engaged with that story of that person and so there's something about a, a personal story where people can relate and kind of see themselves in that story that, that makes some kind of connection there. Yeah. All right. So yeah, you, you, yeah. Talk about yeah personal stories. I mean, and then that most recent example was actually, that wasn't your story. You were recounting the story of, of someone else, someone else. Yeah. Telling their story. Um, so in our like expositors collective Facebook community, um, with a, a private group and we kind of geek out about preaching and teaching. And um, when I told them that I'd be speaking to you and asking you about, about quite about stories um, there's been, I, I've checked it now. I think there's 19 people who've, who've commented and most of them said the same thing that um, I'm going to read Kevin Barron. He says, I use my life as an illustration, often pointing out where I failed and how God has brought redemption out of that. And then many people use the phrase, you know, don't make yourself the hero of the story. Um, what are your thoughts on what role does ourself and the good things that we do, um, what role does that play in, in our sermons or in, in the illustrations that we use? Yeah, I'm trying to think of any specific examples. I don't use myself as a story very often, I guess. Maybe I should more. I, I would agree with those commenters. I rarely will I make myself the hero of the story. And in fact, even if it's a story where maybe I am the hero, I'll often flip the story and tell it the opposite way. Yeah, I okay. once knew a person who yeah. went to the I third heaven. My, <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who could that be? Yeah. Um, and and also, and maybe this is maybe this is so obvious doesn't need to be said, but I rarely, rarely use my kids in a in a story, even if it's a good or bad thing. I just don't want them to feel like the sermon they're they're in the spotlight just because their dad's up there preaching so my kids pretty much never end up hmm. in a sermon um my wife may be on occasion but again only if i'm going to be saying something positive and affirming 
um, about her, her weaknesses or she's open about them, but those are for her to tell, not for me to sure. tell, especially not the pulpit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Someone says this as a pastor's kid, I highly encourage asking permission of your children before you use their an experience with them as a sermon illustration. Your life with them is not sermon fodder. It's precious and valuable. Uh, someone also added. Yeah. And I've, I've done that a couple of times. And then I, I kind of realized that maybe I take this too far, but I kind of realized, you know, they're too young to even know the, the implications mm. Mm. of saying yes. And so they might feel like they're okay with it. And then later on realize, well, wait, now everybody knows that and they keep bringing it up. And so, so I've been even reluctant to ask them permission. I've just kind of made that decision um, for them as well. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I would think too, like, um, you know, with, with, my kids or, you know, even my home life, that's like the easiest thing in the world for me to think of stories and illustrations from that. And um, I think, yeah, it, it's it's worth putting a little bit more work into thinking of an example or an illustration or a story from my life or whatever that that goes beyond just, oh, this happened around the dinner table last night because it, it's it's easy. And um, and I, I was actually doing like a, I, I do sermon reviews for people and um, yeah, somebody uh, pretty consistently, you know, is, is always telling stories um, about a certain, about a certain formative chunk of his life. Uh, this person always is referring back to, you know, this era of his life. And it's, it's almost guaranteed every single sermon is going to have a story from this, from this time period. And I, I challenged him. I said, Hey, listen, I know that was a really important time of your life. It's really, like I said, formative, but I, I want to challenge you to, to go broader, to talk about Napoleon or, or find out an interesting fact about this or, you know, but like do people the favor of leaving your world and going into their world to finding a, something that will grab their attention beyond just autobiographical glimpses into your life. So I think there is a role for personal stories. I think you're making quite a good good case of that, but maybe expanding and not just going with whatever is the easiest or the quickest or the most, um, the first thing that comes to your mind. Maybe think a little bit deeper, the second or third thing that comes to mind. Yes, preaching can become, oh, I pro- this probably isn't the best way to say it, but it can become like an ex- exercise in narcissism. Like I'm trying to work through these things in my life and then, the pulpit becomes like the outflow of what I'm trying to work through in my life. And that's not, that's not helpful. In fact, when, um, so a couple more things, one thing that I try to do is remove the first person from my preaching as much as possible. So anywhere I can take out, I, me, I think I thought this happened to me, like those types of filler words, get them out and get myself out of the, out of the sermon. You know, that's, that's one part of it. But then also, um, when I tell a story, I edit, so I manuscript my sermons, and this is part of why, I, I want to edit out anything in that story that's just filler, any part of that story that's not making the point that I want the story to make. And so I've heard people, and I've done this too, uh, they'll tell a story, but they'll have a two-paragraph lead-in to it that's all about me, when that lead-in doesn't need to be there, just tell the story. Uh, so that that's kind of you know getting myself out of the out of the sermon, editing that out. So that's that's kind of a discipline, I guess. And again, one of the things I'm still learning. You can listen to my sermons and find where I violated everything I'm talking about. These are things I'm learning, but that's yeah, part yeah. of it. Yeah. 
Okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's definitely, yeah. Yeah. Food, food for food for thought and, and worth it. Yeah. Cause I can think of people, you know, like, Hey, listen guys, here's something you should know about me. I don't like snakes. Blah, 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 blah. Now here's a story. You know, it's like, just yeah. tell the story and it will become evident that you don't like snakes. That's yeah. a very good. Yeah. Cause you know, time is precious. Attention is precious. And a story yep. instantly grabs people's attention. You know, the, the moment that you say, let me tell you a story. It, it gets everyone, everyone's, engaged and you have them for a few moments but um yeah to to make that as purposeful and punchy and to the point that's a, a valuable yeah you don't want to dilute it by all these extra paragraphs added in yeah and the goal is for for people in my congregation here's probably the only 40 minutes 30 minutes of your week where you're going to sit silent and just, and and, re, and be reflective and so this is a chance to be reflective on god's word and on your life and putting those pieces together, not a time to be reflective on the pastor and the pastor's life. Even though, even though my life may contribute something to the sermon or may have a place somewhere in your reflection, but it's not, you know, we can get to know each other over lunch. You can come over to my house and we'll have dinner. Then you can get to know me. But but the sermon's a little different, a little different context. Not the and this again, my opinion, not the place for it. Yeah. And this is your episode. So you get to give your <laughs> there opinions. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. So, hey, um, it, it, this is a, a really brief question. Um, I, I want to talk to you in a moment about like how you're currently trying to improve. But I, I think it would be um, a wasted opportunity to be speaking to like, you know, an actual commentary writer uh, without asking about like what role do you think commentaries should play in, in the life of, of, a, of a preacher? So again, as I mentioned, you know, you've, you've contributed or you're the, the co-author of the Colossians and Philemon commentary and the Kirux commentary series from our friends at Kriegel Academic. Um, so like, how, how should people use that if they're preaching through Colossians? Yeah, that commentary in particular you're asking about or just commentaries well, in Well, let's just say commentaries in general, but want to give a shout out to Kriegel Academic. And so I forced that in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, commentaries are, of course, a really helpful tool. I've got countless commentaries on my shelves. I use them, I don't want to say daily, but I use them weekly. Um, they help me at least get my mind around the text that I'm going to be preaching. Yeah. And especially if there's something in there that's confusing, if there's this historical background type information. As a pastor preaching weekly, I don't have time to go track down journal articles. I don't have time to go track down original sources, do all that. I need somebody to have uh, kind of curated all that information and distilled it down to here's the, the important pieces that you need to understand this text, whether it's the Greek background here, historical background there, cultural thing there. And so I'm, I'm always looking for, I don't want to read a bunch of commentaries. I want a couple of commentaries that really do a good job of getting me the information I need to get my mind around the text. So then I can do my part, which is my congregation. How is this going to, how am I going to preach this for my congregation? So the K-Rook series, um, if the, like the one that I wrote is kind of unique in that it has a co-author model. And so one author, in this case, myself, writes up the exegetical part, kind of curating that material and what is it that uh, you might need to know to get your mind around the text. And then there's a second author who writes sections on just some ideas for how you might think about preaching the text, which 
in fairness to my co-author, that's the easiest part to criticize because we're all in different local contexts. And so the things he's kind of suggesting may or may not be as helpful here or there in different contexts, but at least as some ideas for for what to do with the preaching side of it. Yeah, well, I, uh, I I used it myself and the elders. We taught through Colossians, and that was the kind of our shared one of our shared commentary series. And so, uh, I endorse it. Okay, well, now, thank you. Quickly, moving on to the last question. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I always kind of end with this question. So you've been preaching for quite a while since thirteen or yeah. since twenty three. We'll, we'll say. Um, uh, how how are you trying to improve? What are the what are your kind of goals for your next? decade or so of, of preaching? That would be a good thing for me to think through uh, goals for the next decade or so. Um, probably the primary thing I find myself working on for me in my case is, um, is clarity. How can I, how can I always be more clear? And again, in that pastoral context for my congregation. Mm-hmm. And so I've had, um, I realized uh, like we, well, we talked a little bit about just kind of literacy in general, but I've realized we have a lot of biblical illiteracy in our congregation. You know, somebody shows up for the first time, they don't have Sunday school background. They don't know the Bible. And so I've done things like I have a couple of congregation members who give me feedback on my sermons. I've asked them for particular feedback. Yeah. Tell me any time that I have assumed somebody in the room knows something about mm-hmm. the Bible. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to just say, well, you all know the story of Abraham, yeah. well, maybe somebody doesn't. And I certainly don't want to frame it like everyone knows this. But even if, so then I've got to be aware before I bring Abraham into the sermon, I need to be prepared to actually explain who Abraham is. And if I don't have the time or the desire to do that, then maybe I shouldn't bring Abraham into this into the sermon. So I have some people giving me that kind of very particular feedback who are listening through the lens of those people who we know in our congregation, they know them who are sitting here, who this is all brand new. Where are they getting lost? Where are they getting tripped up? Where have I um, done something that's, that's not been clear for them. Uh, so that's, that's one, yeah. one area. And then we're also trying, I'm trying to find ways to um, break out the sermon. So it's not just a long monologue, but to take parts of it and in, and incorporated into different parts of the service uh, with children's messages and with um, in the, in a closing prayer and, and, so, and maybe a few comments in the closing prayer. And so that it's not as long of a, a one monologue with everything in it, but maybe break up some pieces. So, so some of those kinds of things I'm still working on. Oh, would you consider answering those questions? If someone raises their hand during the message? Well, and sometimes, <laughs> No, in general, <laughs> um, okay. because I think there's value in the mono, the sermon being a monologue and being yeah. a reflective time. Yeah. And we do sometimes, and right now we're doing this, we'll have a Sunday school hour where we have sermon discussion as part of that. So we'll discuss the previous week's sermon, and I usually have some kind of preview of this is what we're going to be hearing in an hour. Okay. And so it's kind of a little more of a chance to process and, and preview what's coming in the sermon too. Yeah. But the sermon itself, we try to I try to keep it, you know, this is monologue, this is reflective, don't want too much interaction. And usually their question is something that I knew that question could come up. I chose not to include in the sermon for a reason, good or bad. So I don't want to get derailed by it now. 
got yeah i just wanted to throw that one at you yeah. um i think I, I i could predict the answer but i wanted to yeah. see you squirm <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> and i do squirm when somebody puts their hand up <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah yeah well in our in our like emailing back and forth before this like you you were mentioning that like one of the things that you've kind of pivoted or shifted into or, or had you know that that notion of like not every sermon needs to be great uh do you want to unpack that a little bit as we close Sure. Uh, this has been a really important thing for me to learn. When back, to, So if you go back to when I was pastoring that first church for a few years, thrown into the deep end, 23 years old, preaching every week. One of the gifts of those few years, there was a, another pastor who was between churches. He was about 55 years old or so at the time, been pastoring for 30 years between churches. So he was just sitting in our congregation on Sundays oh. and watching me, watching my ministry which was a, an a amazing gift. And, and so one of, one of our times when we met together, had breakfast, he, he said to me, Adam, I think what you really need to learn is you need to learn how to preach a B sermon. Okay. You always, you always want to get an A Yeah. and you need to learn to be content with a B. You need to learn to be content with a mediocre sermon. That I, I would maybe I was even offended at the time. I don't know. I did not understand what he was trying to say. I knew I needed to understand it because I respected him. Um, but that went against everything in my in my blood. I'd always been an A student, always done my best work. I value preaching. I put all my time into it. And what he was saying is what has over the last 15 or 20 years since then has turned into this idea of what a, what we talk about pastoral type preaching. Like there's what he was saying was you're you're getting everything from those commentaries into that sermon. You're packing it full. You've got all the information there and you're neglecting the congregation and you're not connecting with your congregation. And there'd be value in scaling back the study and engaging in people's lives and, and then preaching a sermon that's not quite as perfect, but that um, actually connects with people, which in a roundabout way is actually a better sermon. Uh, but but in the way he framed it, be content with a B sermon. And I've, I've seen that play out um, a lot of times since then that, yeah, that he was right. He was absolutely right. That was something I needed to learn to be content with. And so sometimes people get this idea, you're a PhD, your sermons must just be loaded with uh, academic material and the most intellectual sermon. No, I mean, I hope not. That would be very poor preaching and very poor pastoring. That's not, not the goal. I can give you, I don't know how much time we have. I can give you an example, another example of when I saw this play out, when this really was driven home to me, it was just a couple of years ago. So I've, I've heard that from this pastor 15 years ago, maybe 18 years ago now, been processing it all this time. And then a few years ago, my family and I visited another church for a Christmas Eve service. And this is a church we know some of the people in this church. I know the pastor very well, I've known him and respected him for many years. And in this Christmas Eve service, he preached. Uh, probably a 20 minute message. And as he was preaching, I thought, and I've heard him preach a lot of times. I thought this is one of the poorest messages this guy has ever preached. Um, he, I could tell he, and I knew, I know him. He's had, he's been overwhelmed pastorally. He just is pulling something out of a file and he's trying to get through this message. And it's mm -hmm. just really rough. An old classic. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And he's kind of winging it a little bit. Service is over. And some friends of ours who were in that church, members of that church, and longtime members of church, this pastor has been there 25 years, and they're members of this church. This friend of ours turned around and said, 
wasn't that the best Christmas Eve sermon you've ever heard? And I thought, no, that was one of the worst I've ever heard. But, but as I reflect on that, this is somebody who has had a personal relationship with this pastor for 25 years, been hearing him preach for 25 years, been mentored by him. They've been family funerals, weddings, life events, like this pastor has been there with them. And, and so because this pastor has been a shepherd to them, I'm not, I'm not advocating mediocre preaching, but because this pastor has been shepherd, they're hearing him preach. They're not hearing the sermon so much. And they're willing to overlook all these faults and flaws because of who he's been as their pastor and shepherd for, for all of these years. You know, so he preached a D sermon <laughs> that Christmas Eve, yeah. and his people heard an A. You put wow. that sermon on YouTube and it would get thumbs downs all, all around, you know, mm. not a good, not a good public sermon, but for his people and the shepherding and in that moment, the sermon worked for them. And I'm sure he went home and said, oh man, I've got to do better next time. You know, that was not my best effort, but Lord, take it and redeem it because it's the yeah. best I had yeah. that yeah. day. And, and it seems like that's exactly what the Lord did. Yeah. Not in my heart. Yeah. I was too judgmental. <laughs> yeah, 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 good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was, oh man, this is very good. But for for his people, yeah. he was he was preaching that that's that sermon was singing right to their hearts. Right. They're hearing it. I wonder if he's going to listen to this podcast and be like, "Wait a second, Adam visited my church on Christmas Eve." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just threw me under the bus. <laughs> no, I, I know. I I trust if you listen to this podcast, you say, "Yeah, that's exactly what happened that Christmas yeah. Eve." And I and I wish Adam would have just forgotten it, but maybe it could be helpful <laughs> for someone else out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a, a previous guest, um, uh, David Downs, and he's in, uh, I think, Palermo, Italy, or he's somewhere in Italy. But um, he he just used a phrase. Um, paper time and people time. And he said that he tries to divide his week into time with books and then time with parishioners. And um, and, and, not, and not even necessarily members of his church, but even just like people in the community. So he's an American who moved to Italy. So he realizes he's at some kind of, you know, to some degree, cultural disadvantage of just not, you know, so he, he intentionally spends time just talking to people, in evangelism, and then also just in in discipleship, and then just socially engaging with people. And he said, I need to do that just as much as I need to read the latest commentaries or fine tune the sermon. So yeah, people time and paper time. And that kind of has stuck with me. Yeah. And I've known a couple of people who um, I would never give them the advice, hey, preach mediocre sermons, because I'd probably give them the advice you know, step up the paper time in that language. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to you need to learn to do some more study and draw more out of the text and go a little deeper in the text and and those things. I've known a couple people like that, but but for me, it was the opposite. And probably for a lot of us, we come out of seminary where we've learned all the paper skills. We spent all that time in the library, and then we need to hear, get out of the office and go go spend some time with the people. Yeah, yeah. Well, Adam, hey, we're, we're actually going like we, we've gone overtime. Uh, this is I've, I've okay. enjoyed I've enjoyed every moment of this. Um, I've happily gone gone overtime. Hopefully, it's okay with your schedule too. Hope you don't mind. Um, oh yeah, but this has been yeah, this has been really great. Um, I, you know, I, I'm gonna say like, hey, where can people follow you on social media? I think the answer is they can't, right? Because you're not engaged in there, right? Not not really. I mean, we yeah. our church. Um, 
we do post the sermons. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's on Spotify. Maybe somebody else does that. I have a Facebook account. I check about once a month and then don't okay. do anything with. So well, I'll put I'm, the link, I'll put the link to the yeah. church's stuff uh, in the show notes. And are there any like writing projects you're working on or something we can look forward to in the future? Uh, I've done a couple self-published things and then I've got some different ideas, but nothing, nothing under contract or anything. Um, right now my churches needs me a little more than the writing mm-hmm. does. So, but okay. I hope to get back to some more writing projects. That's very pastoral of you. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. All right. So it's, well, been, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having yeah, me. I yeah. I mean, yeah, you've, you've kind of yeah encouraged us hopefully and and telling, telling more or better stories and uh, yeah, just towards yeah pastoral care. And that maybe is actually even better or just as important as our well-developed sermons. So, yeah. Yeah. They connect with the sermons and make for better developed sermons. That's just my, my experience. Yeah. 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 Very good. Thank you so much. All right. Well, for the listeners, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Uh, Thanks, Adam. Yep. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Uh, Make sure that you check out our show notes. Uh, There's further biographical information uh, about Adam and his life and his ministry. There'll be links to the sermon stream, the Spotify playlist um, from his own church. And also, as I mentioned at the beginning, there is going to be kind of a follow-on interview that's going to be coming in the next few weeks where I speak with Dr. Jeffrey Arthur, um, who co-authored the K. Rook's commentary on Colossians and Philemon. And if you've enjoyed this one, I guarantee that you're going to want to subscribe so that future episodes come automatically to your device. In the meantime, I hope that this episode helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. I'll catch you next Tuesday. Thank you.